Christian Gospel with Dr. Halissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. Shabbat Shalom. Pastor Mark asked me to go back and review some of the material on the angels of the four winds. And it's a long teaching, right? So we're not going to review every single detail. That's something you can always go back into the YouTube videos. You can pull it up and you can review in more details. We're just going to review and hit the highlights of some things we've already talked about. And then I'd like to introduce some new material because I've had a chance to sit here and listen to Pastor Mark teach for the last three months. And I know he's majoring on the letter of James. And the question is, who has the right to rule? Well, not everybody. Clearly not everybody. And I think this will dovetail very nicely with our, our study of the angels of the four winds because I think we also did it under the title Principalities and Powers. We don't always discern what we're dealing with when we're dealing with the principalities and powers. Sometimes, especially if you came out of an evangelical background, you might have been trained in church to go around casting out everything that got in your way. The problem was sometimes that's what Adonai had put in your way to get you turned in a different direction. So they, they taught us to bind and loose and cast things out, but they didn't teach us what we were dealing with. So sometimes we're reviling angelic majesties that we have no business reviling because they have put in, been put in place specifically for that job. And this is where the angels of the four winds come in. They're, they're kind of at the top of the hierarchy there in terms of the principalities and powers. And so we see them more plainly. I think in the book of Revelation, but I think we can understand them better from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. If we can understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3, then I think Revelation becomes easier sailing for all of us. So I'm going to uh, start out then with our James text. I wanted to skip on to chapter 5 because remember, our question is, who has the right to rule? All right, my little branch off of that is going to be pray and obey. If we understand pray and obey, then we know who has the right to rule. And we will know, you know, what exactly are these angels of the four winds doing right now, as well as the princes and principalities that are under them. What is their role? What is their relationship to us? Do we really have permission to order them around? And the short answer there is no, we don't. But who can? The throne. The throne can countermand any order. If we go straight to the throne, and we've been, I've been hearing that here, they can always turn the course of those principalities and powers. In fact, in the prophecy of Deborah, when she prophesies in her song, she says the stars fought in their courses. Those stars, those principalities and powers, they have a course. They have an assigned job, and it's not necessarily to deal with you. Israel is watched over personally by the Holy One. That's why you don't go to those principalities and powers like the heathens do. They make gods out of them. They don't want to be gods. That's the last thing they want is to be worshipped. But for us, because he's watching over us personally, we go straight to the throne. And if there's something that needs to be changed that the prince of Persia is doing, or the prince of Greece, or the prince of Washington, D.C., there's got to be a principality there. That is a mess. But we have two tools. If we want to ascend 
back to the role that we were created to do. Right now we're in a fallen state, we're in a mixed state. How do we prepare and then be prepared to ascend back to that role where some of these principalities and powers are going to be shaken out of the way and then it's going to be the tribes of Israel that are set up? That's the short answer. We could stop right there, but we won't. So let's read in James 5, 13 to 19. Pay attention to what I've bolded there. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. We've done that today. We've covered all that today, haven't we? All right, we're on track. We're getting ready to rule. We're practicing what it takes to rule. Therefore, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. You see how he's pairing two things there? Sometimes our healing needs to come with a repentance from sin. They, they can be connected. Doesn't mean they are always. Part of that's just we live in a fallen world and there's viruses. It says the effective prayer of a righteous man, not just any man. He didn't have to say a righteous man. He said a righteous man. So we would know not, don't go to just any man. Go to a righteous man. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now watch this. Watch exactly what he's saying here. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Was Elijah any different from you? Not one bit. But Elijah knows how principalities and powers work. He understands pray and obey. So he goes up to King Ahaz and he says, you know what? It won't rain till I say so. That's pretty bold. Are we ready to do that? I'm not. <laughs> not quite there yet, right? But I'm learning. I'm learning. That's what we're doing. We're learning because eventually we will. That's where, who has the right to rule. Who can rule over the rain? Who can rule over the drought? Human beings, just like Elijah. No different. You say, who am I? You're just like Elijah. You can get there. It says, uh, my brothers, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So clearly James is connecting two things. First of all, pray. Number two, if it exposes sin, deal with it. Repent, because obedience is going to be necessary to bring down the rain. That's it. Pray and obey. Adam started out with pretty much two things, pray and obey. And you say, well, what do you mean pray? Communicate. Your father wants to talk to you. And if somebody wants to talk to you, part of that time you're talking, that's what we tend to think of as prayer. But part of prayer is listening. You have to give him time to talk back. And that's not hurried along. You can do that in your car. There's sometimes if you have drive time, you can have that quiet time. But it's hard to make those spaces because we're so busy with our devices. Sometimes I think they're the devices of the enemy. I mean, what are we going to say to Yeshua when he says, okay, I'm taking job applications for people who can pray for rain in, well, let's say Los Angeles maybe isn't with us anymore. Um, okay, I'm kidding. <laughs> If they, anybody needed rain, it's Los Angeles, right? Our, our left coast is, is descending quickly. But what if it was? Let's say, let's say it's still here in the millennium. 
He says, I need somebody who can go pray for rain in Los Angeles. Give me your resume. What's on your resume? What did you do while you had time? Did you learn to pray? Did you learn to listen for answers? And did you obey? Because when he sends you to Los Angeles, when you pray, it might expose a sin to you. He might say, hey, here in Los Angeles, we've got this, this, and this. It's going to have to be dealt with before I will let one more drop fall. You don't know that unless you listen. We don't know that in our own lives. That's why he's saying, go to the elders, just like they would go to the priest. Go to a priest. Go to somebody who knows the Torah. Go to somebody who's been to law school. You're supposed to be in law school right now. You're a nation of priests. You are royal priests. You should be in law school learning the Torah so that when he sends you out on a mission in the millennium, there's something on your resume that says, okay, they graduated from Torah school. All right, they had a lot of trials and tribulations that gave them the practical experience. They've been tried and tested. I found them righteous. Now I can send them out to pray for this area and to begin to, and to rule, to reign over it. Because remember, these principalities and powers, they have to come out of the way. They were only temporary. That's all they were ever meant to be. We were the first choice. We were the first creation to rule and reign over the earth, not the angels. So as spirit beings, they are functioning in roles that they were not designed to have. One thing about them, they're obedient. Now, we're not going to talk about demons today. Demons fall into another category of these spirit beings that are trying to function in realms that they were not relegated to. All right? If you talk about casting stuff out, that's a different category. We're talking about those principalities and powers that have been put in place to help us. And because we abdicated the role, we gave it up through sin. And every time we sin, we abdicate the role again. That seems to be our habit, right? So here's some bullet points that you might remember from the four winds. The, the Torah portions that really deal with the encampment of the Israelites in the wilderness, and I thought it was great how we had the, in this praise and worship today, we had so much mention of the wilderness. But these particular Torah portions, we've, we've got Bamidbar. That really places us literally in the wilderness. How do we learn to rule and to reign, we go back to the wilderness. Because right now, we're in the wilderness of the peoples. It's called the wilderness of Egypt and the wilderness of the peoples. And the prophets, there was an understanding we would be tossed back out there into a bigger wilderness, and there we would be prepared. We would be somewhere between salvation and resurrection. The Mishkan, it's the model that we go by. If we want to know how we're supposed to rule and reign, the patterns, we go back to the Mishkan in the wilderness because that arrangement was not random. There is not one random word in the Torah. There is nothing that can be deleted, at least in the Hebrew text. If he repeats something, it's because it's very important. So how we camp, how we move, how we judge, how we prepare for war, how we operate in our tribal blessings— uh, even within our clans, those things are set in the wilderness. And that's going to influence how we function. It was rectangular. In the middle, of course, you've got the Mishkan, where there's the heaviest presence resting. Outside of here, you've got kind of guarding the, the entryway. You've got the families of Moses and Aaron. Then you've got the priests. You've got the, the Levites. You've got the regular tribes. Um, out on the corners, you would have the livestock. The, the livestock apparently were relegated to the corners, the four corners of the earth. So in a sense, the cattle represented those who would come in, the kosher animals, uh, who would no longer be animals. They would come on into the camp. Let's see, what else? 
Oh, and, and then there would be people outside of the camp. The understanding is that because they were moving in the clouds of glory, when the Amalekites attacked those in the rear, they were actually attacking those that had been spit out by the cloud. They, just, they were just ejected because of whatever reason. Typically rebelliousness. Pray and obey, right? All right, so this is uh, the idea, and I'm going to show you the graphic here in a minute just to remind you about the clouds of glory that descended. Paul talks about the clouds. He says, our fathers were all under the cloud. And we tend to think that, well, no, there was a pillar of cloud. No, there were clouds everywhere, around that camp, under the camp, over the camp. There's a pillar of cloud. There's clouds of incense. There's clouds everywhere in that camp, right? It's pretty cloudy. Nevertheless, they were walking in light. So the garden is a step where we begin to disentangle ourselves from Egypt and the crocodile of the Nile. We start to disentangle ourselves from the doctrines of the serpent. We wouldn't be here if somebody hadn't listened to the doctrine of a snake. And that snake is eating what now? Dust. What are we made of? There you go. <laughs> so as a saved human being, you need to learn to quit depending upon the systems of the serpent, which were passed off to the beast, Babylon, the first beast, Babylon. They were handed down from there to Persia, uh, Medo-Persia, from there to Greece, from there to Rome. Now it's in the, the iron and clay feet. The systems are all over the world. So you, you're still dealing with the beast. These management methods of the beast are what we need to disentangle ourselves from. We are in the world, but we don't depend on the world. Because in the wilderness, their dependence had to shift from a natural process, the flooding of the Nile, and the crocodile of the Nile. From there, they had to depend completely on a heavenly source. And you can see how often we turn first to the earthly source, my social security check. We tend to depend upon a, a healthcare system first. We tend to depend upon a government system first. And he says, don't go there first. You might have to use it, but these are people and systems you're going to eventually rule over, not be ruled by. So why would you acknowledge them as the rulers over you when you are going to be the rulers over them? We don't lean on them. We shift our dependence. We start eating manna from heaven instead of cucumbers from the earth, melons from the earth, leeks and onions from the See how he was switching their focus from here, move it around with your foot and irrigate it that way. He's saying, look up here, pray, look back up, pray, 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 obey, obey, obey. And where you're going, where you have been, won't even hold a candle to it. Anything the beast can offer you will not hold a candle to what the king of kings can. So again, here's the graphic, but this reminds us again of the encampment. What we have here, of course, is four corners and four sides. And we remember that even though we had three tribes camped on each side, we also have one unifying banner. It's called a degel, a degel, a banner that represents those three tribes on that side for north, south, east, and west. We've got the lion with Judah leading over on the east side. We've got the eagle up north with Dan. And that's the, that's the rowdy side, by the way. That's the side that is said has never been disciplined. The north side has never been disciplined. I think it has. We're going to go back and look at a scripture where there was somebody who walked along the water and did. Can you walk on water? Not yet, but I mean, try it. Let me know how it goes. And if, if it goes well for you, I might try too. It's like, Yeshua, <laughs> do you want me to come out of the boat? If Yeshua can do it, we can do it. 
maybe just not this second. Uh, we've got the sons of Joseph over here on the west side, symbolized by the ox. And then in the south, we've got Reuven and his tribe symbolized by the man. And if you'll notice, there's an uncanny resemblance to the four living creatures of the divine chariot. So those four living creatures represent the spirit of Adonai. And when he says to do something, they slow walk it. Okay, somebody challenged me right there. Are you awake? <laughs> no, they don't slow walk it. Have you ever slow walked something when somebody told you to do something? <laughs> they don't sour the commandment. You have to run to do the commandment before it develops chametz, yeast. You let it, even sit there, it's going to get puffed up. But the spirit of Adonai, those, those four living creatures reflected in this encampment, they ran to do the will. In fact, they could go in any direction without turning. And you can see that in this encampment. The way they're encamped, all that's required, one, the cloud lifts. That signals the camp we're about to move. Second, the ark takes a step. All right? Judah takes a step. Now we all go. So all it really takes to move in any direction is once those first two signs are seen, all that's really required is for Judah to take one step in any direction. Judah can go north, south, east, west, doesn't matter. Then the whole camp can move. If we need to go north, Judah takes one step north, and then Don was going to lead out there. Same thing going south. Now, what if there's enemy? Same thing. You can protect on all four sides because of this encampment. And this is how they were being trained to rule and to reign over the four winds. This is the training ground right here in the wilderness. If you're in the wilderness of the peoples, and I think you are, anybody sitting in Jerusalem right now? That's where you're going to be stationed first. The Torah and the word has to go out from those 12 gates of Jerusalem. So you're not home yet. You're learning something you need to learn here, possibly to return someday to teach to rule, to reign, to train those traumatized poor people left on earth. Imagine the trauma we're going to inherit. Man, these people are going to be messed up. <laughs> Can you imagine coming out of tribulation on the other side, singed your hair like, I mean, oh my goodness, what just happened? And you start with pray and obey, and we're going to get this thing straightened out. We're going to get Mississippi straightened out. We're going to get it. We're going to get New Orleans straightened out if it's still on the map. <laughs> Right. It's a little low-lying area, but it can be raised up, right? Doesn't he say he's going to raise some things up and lower some things down? He's going to make everything smooth. But this is our training ground, learning how to move. And this is why we can't kick Judah out of the camp. We have to watch what Judah's doing at any given time, because a lot of times we're getting clues as to what we should be doing. Just to review again, uh, a commentary that's kind of unpacking the encampment, it says, as they encamp, so shall they journey, everyone at his place, according to their divisions. And that word, that phrase there in Hebrew is al-yado ledigleham, according to their banners. But then Rashi explains that to it, the way that you traveled was according to the side you were on. And he says, uh, this is leruach, this is according to the spirit. He's relating it to the divine chariot. So, if you're running to do the will of Adonai, then you're paying attention to that banner. That banner is going to tell you, what is my next mission? And I can start rolling in that direction. And this is the way the tribes were intended to go. This is a little bit of, again, commentary from a targum, which is like a preaching on a particular passage. What I want to pull out of that is just that first part. 
It says, while the people of the house of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, four clouds of glory surrounded them from the four winds or the four directions of the earth. Now it goes on and describes the other clouds. We, we don't need to get into that again. But I wanted to remind you, again, it goes back to the four sides where it says, each of the world's four winds, for they have faces and wings and the direction of each wind. So this is, you know, we get the idea of four angels having faces, and they're facing in the direction of those winds. Each of those winds has a characteristic, just like each side of the encampment had a characteristic. They were grouped like that for a reason. If you look to the east, under angelic control, not under righteous human control, which we've only experienced for how long, what we see coming from the east is hot damaging winds. You can see that pattern in scripture. If there's a judgment coming, it might come from the east with a hot wind. If it comes from the north, it can come with hail and damaging winds. We saw both of these working in the plagues of Egypt. Sometimes we get a plague and we want to cast the devil out. And actually he told the angels of the four winds to do that. Just like he can tell them to hold back. Hold on. Going to the west, again, to the direction of Joseph's children, there is darkness. So, you know, we have prophecies about being in deep darkness and being a light for the Gentiles. That, that helps us again. We're considered the West by most of the world. So what are we supposed to be doing? Shining light in the darkness. Now, we just happen to be in the South. And from the South comes actually the good stuff. Do you know that? He puts you in a place to do good stuff. From there come the dews and the showers that make things grow. So the, the problem, historically, the rabbis say, has always been the north wind. It's always been the hail and the damaging rains. And so where, depending on what continent you are, these may not be exact. Uh, if you'll remember in the last lesson, Jerusalem was the plumb line. These things are based on you start at Jerusalem. These things are true in Jerusalem. And again, this is what Paul said. All our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. But of course, it had different effects on them. If we have been brought out of Egypt, we have come out into the sea of the peoples. There's all kinds of symbols in scripture for the nations, for the peoples, and so forth. So he brings us through the sea of the peoples. Not everybody came out on the other side the same. Everybody wanted to praise and rejoice on the other side. But when they got a little hungry, when they got a little thirsty, when they didn't like the leadership, when they didn't like the direction they were going, when this didn't taste good, they started complaining. What is the one thing we can't afford to do in the wilderness? Complain, right? This is interesting. Again, this is the Targum. This is like the preaching, a first century preaching on the passage, referring back to these clouds of glory in the wilderness that were all around the encampment. It says, a cloud of glory descended from the throne of glory. They say, well, where do these clouds come from? Directly from the throne. So if you're in the wilderness, you may not be able to see it. Maybe you're not aware of it, but you were surrounded with clouds of glory. And where did those clouds come from? They came from the throne. Where did Yeshua come from? He came from the throne. But it says, the cloud of glory descended from the throne of glory and was filled with waters from the ocean. And afterward... Do you see how that it goes down into the it goes down into the peoples, all the nations, and then it goes up from the earth and it gave rain to come down and water all the face of the ground. 
That's going to be key. See, the angels of the four wind are going to affect whether it rains or not, or whether it hurricanes or not, or whether it tornadoes or not, or whether it droughts or not. They control these things. But notice it's an imprecise science for an angel, because obviously there's lots of unblessing when those winds move. How many of you have felt only favorable winds in your life? They can be pretty destructive, right? And and we don't want to revile angelic majesties. We don't want to do this. But we want to look at what Scripture is telling us. If we were the ideal, if he created us specifically to rule over the nations, specifically to rule over the creation, to bring forth the plants and so forth to their ultimate potential— If you put a spirit being, we're flesh, we're spirit and flesh, but if you put a being that is only spirit over those domains, it's not going to have the maximum output. We were designed to give maximum output, and we could until we failed to pray and obey in the garden. Why do you think they were scared when they heard the voice of Elohim walking in the cool of the evening? See, that's that's not just, you know, your rote prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. That kind of prayer, it's a conversation. Where are you? He's talking. Where are you? And see, if we don't know where we are, we might hide. We could even hide behind different types of prayer where we don't have to listen, where we just talk. He says, no, I've always wanted to talk to you. That's how this world's going to turn. We're going to keep this world spinning in a good state if you'll just talk to me and let me talk back to you. I love you. You talk to people that you love, and then I want you to obey me. If you can do those two things, we have not yet seen what the world will be when those two things happen. The trees you're looking at today are dwarfs. The flowers you see today are dwarfs compared to what they will be when you teach the nations to pray, listen, and obey. But these clouds of glory, remember, they originate from the throne of glory. And this is the whole thing. Human beings were created not just to rely on a natural cycle of things. That's an earthy. That's part of who we are. But we were made specifically to pray down blessings of rain and to bring favorable winds together. And so when we're obedient to the word, those things are possible. All right, now this is just a review again of those four sides and the four flags. And again, what they represented, you might want to take a screenshot if you don't remember it, but you can go back to the original teaching with the banners, but we've gone through that. All right, here's a passage, and this is from Revelation 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, and Mr. Arnold sent me an article where scientists have found there are literally four corners where there's inexplicable piling up or depression of waters. And if those things were turned loose, it would be catastrophic. Um, To hold back those four winds so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or any tree. The sea represents who? Peoples. So do trees, by the way. Trees represent individuals. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun. What direction is that? What comes from the east? Hot, damaging wind. Something bad's about to happen. (laughs) Having the seal of the living God, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. See the equivalency of expression there? Saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees. Really, these are just three different ways of saying the same thing. Until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. 
And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. The tribal arrangement hasn't changed here. And you say, is that all there are? This is a first fruits. So they're representing huge numbers. I don't know what that number would be because I'm not good at math, but you know, probably multiply it. If this is first fruits, multiply it. But here, that's the pattern. We were to rule the creation. What these angels are doing, that's what we were created to do, to be obedient. We were supposed to rule according to his will. Because remember the disciples saying to Yeshua, teach us how to pray. That sounds a little strange, like they're grown men. Don't they know how to pray? They've been walking with him. They don't know how to pray. I think they're asking something specific. And if we say the Lord's Prayer, we hear exactly what we should hear. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the original thing. Pray and obey. It's, it's just like you can get something in your, your sight picture, but you want what's in the crosshairs, right? Yeshua put that thing in the crosshairs for prayer. The meat of all prayer should include pray and obey. So the judges on earth, the human beings, the judges on earth, were created to reflect the judgments in heaven. There are judgments in heaven. There are thrones set up for judgment. What we have to do is to pray. Say, what is the judgment in heaven? Now we have to administer his will on earth. Our problem is we thought we were in charge. And it was, may my will be done on earth, right? It's not that way. A judge has to preserve the boundaries that were set by the creator or death will set in. All those boundaries were for life. That's why the first name of Adonai that you hear in scripture is Elohim, which is the judge aspect. If you don't judge and put these boundaries exactly where they need to be, one little wobble of the earth destroys everything. You just break one little commandment and think it's cool, you're going to destroy everything eventually if it keeps going in that direction. So when we abdicate it, when they were afraid to pray because they didn't obey, they left the position open. And so he takes spirit beings called angels and puts them in place because human beings had declared their independence from the Holy One. Not your will, but mine be done. They listened to the doctrine of the serpent. And then again, they had another chance in the wilderness, just like we do. But then we had a golden calf. Not your will, but mine be done in the wilderness. It was a perfect system they had been given. It was perfect. All they had to do was pray and obey. But they're like telling Moses, you go up the mountain. That's scary. We're still scared. And I guess it would be after what they saw, right? <laughs> so our pattern is we can look at the Levitical priests and get an idea of our role. As the Levitical priest minister to the 12 tribes. So the 12 tribes were to be a royal priesthood that in turn ministered to the nations. They ministered to the oceans, the seas, the earth, the peoples. And a scripture comes up where they challenged Yeshua. He, he quotes, they're challenging his authority. And he says, isn't it in written? You are gods. That's a really poor translation, guys. I don't think that was contextual at all for the translators, but the, if you don't understand, you know, where he's quoting from, you can mistranslate it. Elohim, with a small e, it can mean judges, judges. And so we were created to be judges, not Elohim, the creator. Our problem is we keep confusing big E with little e. We want our will to be done on earth, and he says, no, my will to be done on earth. You judge that. Don't make up your own stuff. 
Yeshua's quoting out of Psalm 82 when he says, you are Elohim. And here's the context. God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. There are rulers in the congregation. Who has the right to rule? Folks, you're sitting in a congregation of rulers. These kids will be rulers. Us old folks, we're going to be rulers. Everybody in between. If we will pray and obey and walk in that righteousness, we will be rulers. We don't always look at one another like that. We don't always respect one another like that. You ever grow up with somebody and went through, you know, 12 years of school with them and then they end up being a judge or somebody famous and you're like, well, I never knew them like that. But we have to start knowing one another like that. See the person sitting on either side of you is ruling over someplace. Most likely they will. You will either rule or you will be ruled over. There's nothing in between. Rule or be ruled over. Be in the kingdom or inherit it. We want to inherit the kingdom because those who are not fit to rule are not fit to inherit. Those who inherit the kingdom are those who resemble the Father. If you cannot execute his will on earth, then you are to be ruled over and go through remediation under those who will rule. He says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Vindicate the weak and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. This is prophecy. The foundations of the earth are going to be shaken. Principalities and powers will be shaken out of the way to make rule, make room for the 12 tribes of Israel. And you say, well, I don't know if I'm a tribe. Yes, you are. If you're not by blood, then you attach yourself by faith. You're qualified. He said, I said, you are Elohim, not gods. You are Elohim. You are judges. And all of you are sons of the Most High. And then he's talking here to an apostate generation. He says, nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. Which princes? Principalities and powers, they will have to fall. They will have to be moved out of the way and reassigned somewhere. He says, arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who possesses all the nations. You are judges. You are sons and daughters of the Most High. You will rule. This is what Yeshua is trying to prepare us for. Right, so like we said, the princes of Persia, Greece, whatever principalities and powers, whatever is under these angels of the four winds, uh, they were thought to be uh, Gabriel, Michael, Uriel, and Raphael. And then you would have everything under those. And this is small, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. Again, we're just, we're trying to get to a place here. But let's go back to 1 Corinthians 6.1. I hope that's the right reference. If it's not, somebody help me so I can fix it. But Paul says, does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? He sounds like he's pretty wound up right there. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How many of us have read over that and not really considered what needs to be on our resume to do that? We have to go to law school. He's talking about going to court. He says, okay, you get something, you get some civil case against your brother, somebody doesn't pay you back or whatever. You take them to small claims court. 
He says, why aren't you fixing that within your congregations? Why isn't your congregation setting up a court? Why do you not have elders that you can go to who are skilled in the word? Paul's still writing the New Testament at this point, but at least from Genesis to Malachi, preferably all the way from Genesis to Revelation now. Do you not have people who are skilled to do that? Why are you sitting, he goes on, he says, why are you setting up people who are of no account into leadership? They don't know the word. They can be bribed. And bribes don't have to be by money. It can be by favor, esteem, make me feel good. Give me those nice strokes and tell me how wonderful, that's a bribe. You have to have people who are not swayed by anything, who know the word. He says, if you can't even do that, how in the world are you going to judge the world? You're going to the world that you're going to judge. He says, it's better to be wronged than to go before the unrighteous. Why should righteous and righteous go before unrighteous? This is not how you prepare to rule the world. You fix it here. You fix it here first. Then if it doesn't go your way, it doesn't mean I go somewhere where they will judge my way. If you have righteous judges, you may not like the verdict, but you better be really careful about just self-selecting places that will give you only what you want to hear in a rendering. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit? They'll take this off of YouTube. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit? You'll be in the kingdom or you will inherit the kingdom. You will rule or you'll be ruled over. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived like Eve was. You can't sin and inherit. You will be ruled over. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will not. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Why would you go to anybody else? Right? So we're going to skip over some of this, which is just clarifying uh, the idea that the unrighteous do not inherit. They might be in the kingdom, but they are to be ruled over and they are to be instructed in the Torah and the Word. The Torah will go forth from those 12 gates of Jerusalem. Who's taking it? You are. You're going to law school so that you can do that. I tend to think, don't write this down and sign my name to it. I tend to think that those who were righteous in their generation who went before us, they're being instructed right now. They're remediating, making up any gaps in their understanding. We, if we are those who are alive and remain, we will be without excuse. Because he has raised up for us the Torah in our generation. Why did he do that? So that we, we are remediating right now the way that they are, I believe. He has given us a generation where we could go to law school in a way that the Gentiles couldn't in any other time period. He is restoring his word to the nations. He's raising up righteous people who can judge according to his will. And then in the end, it'll all be one thing. So what if you hear that shofar and you're still on John 3.16 and you had the opportunity to remediate. Now, it doesn't mean that, oh my goodness, I, I didn't get far enough. Am I stuck now? No, it means he's going to judge you as righteous. And he is going to finish filling up for you, perfecting for you what you started. But if you wouldn't even start, if you wouldn't even take a step, if you still wanted cucumbers and melons and leeks, and not, if you would rather depend upon the earthly systems for your growth and I think that's exactly where you stop. So we, we know that these angels are not independent thinkers. They do exactly what they're instructed to do. But we also know this about angels, and the rabbis bring this out from different contexts. They really only do one thing at a time. 
They don't multitask. The prince of Persia was not concerned about Israel unless there was an overriding order coming from the throne that says, okay, I know you're concerned about Persia and I'm about to send a prophecy that prophesies your demise and you're being brought down, but let it through, let it go. These powers and principalities, they've got one thing to do. Now, you might be under their domain, but here's the thing. You are watched over by the Holy One of Israel. You don't have to be at the mercy of that principality and power who is trying to sustain that principality. You can go to the throne and say, Father, I'm in the wilderness of the peoples. I need manna right now. This system's not feeding me. It's not giving me my water. It's not healing me. Do you see how James paired those things? Don't be double-minded. Don't think that I can depend on the earthly source and then be so upset I have to Facebook everything that the government and the health system and the, you name it, they do wrong. I've got to get on there and rant and rave. I'm like, well, why are you leaning on them to begin with? Nobody ever promised you 100% healing from our current healthcare system. Who promised you that? That's pretty arrogant to think you're entitled to 100% healing from a man-made system. They're doing their best, most of them. Some of them aren't, but most of them are doing their best with the information they have from the earth below. But if you can find a godly physician who will pray for you, I had a surgeon that would pray over me before he worked on my shoulders, right? It makes a difference. It makes a difference. But they're not independent thinkers, and really neither should we be. If he gives us something to do, do it. I said, don't, don't delay. Don't let it get sour. Do it. Don't be an independent. Don't try to think of a way around it. It's overcoming the world. That's why I say it's sometimes, yes, we can pray that obstacles be removed. Sometimes that's how he's training you to overcome that obstacle. Don't, you don't need it taken out of the way or you're not going to learn the lesson you need to learn by overcoming. The gates for judgment. We know that in the millennial reign, the 12 tribes are going to be assigned a gate for judging. And Ezekiel does something interesting. He talks about the gates as the exits. It's just like, we're more concerned about who gets in, and Ezekiel's worried about who might get out. <laughs> but in Ezekiel 48:30, he says, These are the exits of the city. On the north side, 4,500 cubits by measurement shall be the gates of the city, named for the tribes of Israel, three gates toward the north, the gate of Reuven, one, the gate of Yehuda, one, the gate of Levi, one, and it goes all the way around the city. They're shuffled from the encampment in the wilderness, which would be fun to chase down. But nevertheless, those 12 tribes are set up. Now remember, Jerusalem enters back into a semi-supernatural state in the millennium. Not just anybody can go in there. It's a very clean, ritually clean place. Who decides who gets to go in there? You do. He's setting up those tribes. How are you going to decide who gets to go in if you skipped a few classes in law school? Don't skip school. Come listen to the word every Shabbat. Fill it in through the week, and you'll be prepared for this. I mean, he might have you sitting beside somebody that's really good for a while, but you will continue to learn. Because remember, it's from those four sides that they are going to administer the earth. They're going to judge. Not just who comes in, but apparently it's part of the going out. You're going to, who are you going to send out? Who's going to go out here? Who's going to go out here and teach the Torah? Who's going to go out here and maybe teach them Hebrew? I don't know. Who volunteers for that one? Revelation 21, 12. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and the names were written on them, 
which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. I don't know who these angels are because they can also be people in context, but I wonder if these 12 angels at the 12 gates are among those who will be ruled over and they will be working with us to administer the earth from that particular gate and flowing in that particular blessing that's on that particular tribe. We don't know exactly. But we know that these blessings of rain to the rest of the nations are subject to prayer. Right now, we don't have a temple built. The temple was supposed to control that. Think of your kitchen faucet. Water's possible, but it's not going to start until you do what? Turn it on or turn it on or turn it on. <laughs> Nowadays, you don't know how to turn the faucet on anymore. It goes all the way. I don't know how to turn showers on sometimes. They're getting too fancy for me. Like, where does this turn on? <laughs> you're, you're poking around stuff trying to see if it'll move. Y'all did that too, right? Okay, good. <laughs> Just, I'm not the only idiot. But these blessings of rain, they are subject to prayer. The temple and those sacrifices performed that function until they were destroyed. And see, this is why obedience was so important in Israel and Jerusalem. When they failed to pray and obey, then it's just like somebody turned the faucet off and the rest of the world couldn't be blessed from heaven. It, it, these are the blessings that come down from heaven. There's already a natural earth that we, can, we don't want to depend on it, but it's there. You'll get some rain. There's rivers. There's lakes. There's things that will grow naturally, but we weren't created to depend upon the natural realm. Human beings were created to bring together the earth and heaven. And, and that's the, actually the symbolism of the alabaster. Why the alabaster women kept bringing this nard and putting it on the feet of Yeshua, because nard smells like the earth. The pavement of the temple was alabaster. Alabaster represents this very thin veil between heaven and earth, and the priests walked on it. And so they're putting that nard on his feet, saying, Yeshua, you are the one who brings together heaven and earth. We worship you. What did they do after the resurrection? They grabbed his feet and worshiped him. These are the feet we need. If rain is going to fall now, who does it still depend upon? You. There's no temple to turn the faucet on anymore. He sent you out into the nations. He sent you out into the wilderness of the peoples. You were these little temples. You were these little mishkans. And it's because of your prayers and because of your obedience that he turns on the faucet. Why does he tell you to pray for those who are in authority over you, even if they're unrighteous? You want no rain? You talk about <laughs> cutting off your nose to spite your face. You better be praying for those in authority. The more unrighteous they are, the more prayer they need. You are the only thing standing in this place between complete chaos and destruction and blessing and blessing. So who has the right to rule? You do. You're training to rule. Things are going to change. I've got more to this, but I think this is a good place to stop if when we come back, maybe we can do it again or maybe a different opportunity because I want to show you how those two creation accounts are explaining this to you because there weren't two creations. There was one creation. We're not understanding the second one because we don't understand two words because we don't understand who Yeshua is. We have lots more to learn about him. But, but that's what's important. James is, is, has been your text now for several weeks. Don't be double-minded. 
Don't be tossed about in the seas of the peoples. You are there to stabilize. You are there to be little temples, to pray for rain, because one day you will be sealed if you're not already. And I have wondered if part of that sealing is not just to protect you from the chaos that will follow. What if it seals up your prayers so you can't pray, so the true tribulation will come? It will do the destruction that it's going to do. Your prayers will be sealed up. The heavens will be like brass. People will cry out because like in the days of Noah, they didn't listen to you. But until that day where you can no longer pray, pray your heart out. Pray for where he has planted you. And if you will pray and obey here, it could be that rain would fall here through seven years of tribulation and it wouldn't fall anywhere around you. We don't know, but we do know this. Like James says, the farmer has patience and he waits for the early and the late rains. So you do that too. And just remember every single day you are preparing to rule and to reign with the righteous, with Yeshua. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. For more information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.